Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, leavers and believers. Welcome to Leaving Hillsong. My name's Tanya, and we are here with By the Door of the Ear, Part 2, featuring Scott and Kat, a uh, long-time couple who both uh, started at Hillsong and left Hillsong with very different as well as similar experiences very distinct experiences that they've been sharing with us and so so generously today we go back to some of what we had started last time in part one if if you haven't heard it make sure you grab it we started talking about the construction of the hillsong service musically and how that is planned and timed and scheduled to a t and we're going to really pull the whole service apart here and pull Gary Clark apart a little bit at the end. Uh, So there's lots here. I'm talking about who's talented and what it's like to, you know, be a part of that machine and feel the pressures of the greatness that is Hillsong music. Some of these songs have hundreds of millions of views on YouTube. This is not a small game. This is not the minor league. So... Very grateful to Kat and Scott, and I hope you enjoy part two. By the door of the ear. How long were you at London for? Um, I was in London 
on and off for two years. But the second year in particular, I was living with people who were very, very plugged into the creative team at Hillsong London. So I was getting a real inside view on what it was like without giving too much of my time to it. Yeah, so I lived with a really nice bunch of people who were all giving, you know, they must have been giving 15 hours plus to volunteering a week at Hillsong London. I would, you know, 15 hours on a less committed week and up to probably 30 hours on a busy week. And then they all volunteered, you know, the whole way through conferences and all of that as well. But the big contrast that I really noticed between the band at Hillsong London and the band at Hillsong in Sydney was that due to the nature of London, which it's a very creative city with a lot of work for musicians, nearly all of the musicians in the band at Hillsong London were professional working musicians. So that meant that the music was quite... Yeah, Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, you know, the music was... Working on a volunteer basis, yeah. So they were volunteering at Hillsong, but they were working, yeah. their day job was to work as a musician elsewhere, you know, sessions or, you know, whatever gigs they were doing week in, week out. So that meant then that the musical style of Hillsong in London was quite different to Sydney because the, oh. thing, that Hillsong, yeah, uh, the thing that Hillsong has done expertly really is they've created a formula for band playing that allows people with not really a lot of, musical experience or knowledge we have played well so they've split all of their instrumental music into parts they've got pretty predictable chords you know the things that make it appealing to listen to are also making it quite easy to play for a lot of different types of musicians with not necessarily a strong background you know in music Mm -hmm. but then in London because all these people were working musicians it had quite a different style because they're all like professionally they all have like very good skills on their instruments like high level skills and so the band was actually quite dynamic and like interesting to listen to, different to Sydney. Yeah, now. What do you oh, say you know, about like, Sydney? Come on now. <laughs> well, you go to Sydney and it, and it's it's it. You could almost think you're listening to the track. You know, like you're hearing the one riff that's played. It's actually on these days, right? Because they actually now play a track in the background when they play um, a song, a Hillsong song. There's a track, and then. If you're playing in the band at Hillsong, you're expected to just actually play over the top of the track the same thing, the same riff, the same line. And if you do something different to that, that's too rebellious and it's, it's too complicated and they don't oh, want wow. it. Of course, of course. Like off going yeah. of course. Wow. wow. Yeah, at Hillsong <laughs> London, the, like they were required to play the tracks because this is the thing, like it was being pushed from Sydney to be please be playing the tracks. But because all the musicians were so good in Hillsong London, what they would do is they'd actually, in a lot of cases, like the track they would play would just be like a bed of sound, like a maybe like a pad sound, They'd like say in a slow song, they'd be playing a sustained note on a track or something like a chord, chord line rather than the full track that they would use in Sydney, which would include all these parts that are going to be played by the musicians anyway, right? So in mm. your, if you're playing... Your role's quite boring in a lot of ways because here's the track playing what you're going to play anyway. Like, so you're just playing over the top of it, the same mm-hmm. thing. So that was kind of what the style had morphed into by the time I was at Hillsong London. But they weren't really doing that because they're all such good musicians. Like, they were very versatile in what they could do. And so they were continuing to improvise a lot on, like, the, the structure of, of each song 
and come up with their own ideas, which is what they would do professionally as musicians. How are they allowed to get away with that if you're not allowed to veer off course? Yeah, I mean, I think that there was a bit of a push to be more like Sydney, but it was a hard push to to make there because they've been doing it a certain way for so long already. They were trying to push the culture more in the direction of Sydney, but it was a slow-going sort of process. But you could watch them up there on on the stage and they were having fun as they played, you know, because they enjoyed putting their own mark on the music. Like that was essentially like the big difference to it. I just remember it being a bit of a weird experience going from like Hillsong in Sydney to Hillsong in London because the the change and the difference in the music made it like, I, I think a part of me had just been trained so hard to like replicate as best as possible the sound on the albums mm-hmm. that as soon as well, I walked in, yeah. I was like, <laughs> so what's wrong? Yeah. With Early days, I mean, Jeff Bullock has spoken about this you know, a number of times is that that was the idea is, is replicate mainstream. And and then, you know, we were talking about all the changes and stuff as, as you were saying, sorry, as culture changes and the zeitgeist changes and, you know, the style changes. Tell me again, because you're classically trained, how that yeah. then influences those those hobby players you were talking about. Well, I remember when, when this change first came about in Sydney, right? So when the, the tracks, so it was a real marked change in around 2011 or 2012 okay. I can't remember the exact okay. time but I remember we got this pep talk upstairs at Hillsong City that tracks were here to stay and that you better learn what the tra- what's in the tracks and you better learn how to play exactly like the track um, because that's what we're doing now and the person who was speaking was it's like that person that you don't like who's in your family but you can't get rid of them because they're here to stay that's like that was so maybe she didn't like it either I don't know but and it did. It just really, like, for, for anyone with any kind of skill in music, it makes it pretty boring to play, right, because, like, you, you're just playing over the top of a track. It would be like if you were at home and you put a track on, uh, you know, on your speaker and you've got your instrument and you're just, like, playing along with it a little tiny piece of the music. So instead of, like, previously you would be, say, I'm a keyboard player, you'd be actually contributing quite a lot to the foundation of the band on that instrument but you could stop playing now with the track going and you know yes you would notice that the person's not playing because the volume would change but essentially what they were playing would still be there in the mix because it's on the well yeah it's funny because like when you've got your ears on you hear the track go so it'll it'll be like sinking deep one two three (laughs) four and then you start singing (laughs) yeah yeah. it's so spiritual so yeah you can kind of hear them and you they're quite you know present (laughs) so when you're classically trained yeah what uh yeah you were saying like when you're classically trained you you get to develop your techniques and stuff you because it's just so interesting in terms of how it affects the culture music being really the currency and the economy of this place and the language and you're talking about a, a remember you were saying like a when you're classically trained you can develop your skills to the their peak and apply them somewhere else yes um, yeah so i mean the appeal of classical training for a lot like i'm i don't work very much as a as a classical musician these days i mostly work in folk and contemporary the thing that i value about my classical training is that it developed my technique to a much higher level than i would have developed it otherwise you know and i know plenty of other musicians who work primarily in contemporary who have had like either a high level of classical training or jazz training or both, you know, and that would be 
where they predominantly got their skills from. The thing about Hillsong in Sydney is that because Sydney is a different type of city, say to London, which I mentioned, it, you know, has a lot of work for musicians. Sydney does not have so much work for musicians. So that just naturally means then in Sydney, a lot more of the musicians who are volunteering don't necessarily have a profession, you know, like a high level of skill on the instrument. They professional practice. They might not even have had that many lessons on their instrument. They may have predominantly taught themselves how to play, you know, but it, it's not really a problem because they're just playing like simple riffs. They're playing chord progressions on, on like synthesizer pad sounds, Hi. which don't really require a high level of skill, you know, to be able to execute. And that's kind of the beauty of the, the Hillsong band and why it's able to replicate far and wide because that's how they've struck, they've designed it for that kind of player. You but, know? I mean, are so, we, I don't know if you want to even go here. Are we going anywhere near the story of Hillsong United then? And was that just a, a replication of a replication of a replica until it was ready to be handed to the boss's son because he could just replicate it? Is that how that works? I mean, I have not... I have no idea what kind of training those those people have had. You know, the the fact is that everything that they've, like they have designed the way that the Hillsong Band plays, like it's come from them largely and come from, you know, like your Nigels and these other people who were clearly like professional musicians. They have not really dictated how it is that the band fits together and plays. It's more those, yeah, those people in United, I would say, and I mean, they're very heavily produced, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like, the, there are a lot of very skilled producers within the, the Hillsong yeah, worship true, yeah. team. Yeah, and I think yeah. the ones that get elevated, like, you know, I know a, a couple of them at least, but, like, you know, these are people who are working professionally. Because the style and, is you know, schmick, isn't it? Like, it's clearly not made by... Well, I mean, i got to say, during some YouTube wanderings, I came across uh, a, a performance in, I don't know, Argentina or somewhere. So it was a much more lively crowd than you get at the at Sydney anyway, but it was really entertaining and I was like, oh, I think I've missed something. This is a pretty good concert. And obviously having no clue whatsoever what's talent because, you know, like a, a culture club wham kid. I can't yeah. I can't make any judgment at all. So I've like run along to people and gone like, is Joel talented? And some people like, yeah, and then other people, not, not, not a bar. Well, I think it's how you define that talent you know like i think and the songs he's written the songs i i quite i always liked the joel songs i thought when the joel songs came out there were some of the stronger ones that we had whether or not he was a great musician i'm not sure i don't think that the way that the hillsong band operates necessarily elevates great musicians as kat said like i think he's probably a pretty good producer maybe behind the scenes but then i don't i don't even know like i'm pretty sure that like i i know the people who would be producing him so right yeah it's and, and I mean, this is, I mean, this is no personal attack on anybody. This is just, a, you know, an observation of the culture and, you know, the inner circle kind of culture as well because not only did the son of this place get their own band, the, the daughter ended up being the lead singer of the other band. And, and I just, you know, the balance of probabilities tells me that, you know, the, the two most talented singers in the place were not born to the you know the head pastors hey i scott can talk on the singing um yep. you know no i mean like this it's, is it's so influential and and when you and and who they've chosen or who gets chosen or 
who runs yeah. the thing. I mean, this is yeah. the, the thing that instantly this is the questions constantly being asked. It's like how do how do you end up in a position of authority or creative leadership at the church? How do you end up being a worship leader? You know, there are there's the on the books way of of doing it, which is obviously a bit of propaganda because that's not how it actually works. But the way the thing that you would say, and I, it was asked to me. You know, like I, I would, you know, even from other churches and stuff, like how do we end up doing what you guys do? And the question was always be faithful, turn up, serve, okay. be humble. You know, like these are on the books ways of doing it. The, the fact is, is that, you know, like within it was very arcane and and very like like ephemeral, the process. Like there was no way of really knowing how you would be successful. The fact is, is that you would see the moment happen, right? So like we were talking about the moment that we saw the the star is born moment for Aiden, for instance. Like, you know, we were there that mm -hmm. night when, you know, they featured his song at team night and I think it was Elevate and like Joel Bell, I think it was, got up and was like, yeah. you're amazing, you're gonna go far, da 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 da. And then, you know, a couple of couple of years later, he's like the face of yeah, he's the face of young and free, you know. So so and Aiden so you see them. the Travis Scott of this place is what you're saying. He's an industry player. <laughs> I watched that video, right? Sorry. It sounds a little bit prearranged. Who's to know? Like, I mean, the people people do know. Somebody knows. But then, like, I also, you know, like I was saying that they, the part of the fame culture is in some ways, and I don't think that they, in, I don't know how much they intend on it being the way that it works, but in some ways it keeps control over your creative team, right? Because you are telling people, you know, you're showing people these star is born moments. People are getting words of knowledge and prophecy and like being complimented to the extreme from the platform by some of the biggest names at Hillsong, right? You know, you've got Brian taking Taya aside and telling Taya how amazing she is in front of a crowd of 30,000 people, right? These are, these are huge moments that are happening. And then like occasionally, like we were talking about, like, you know, I had a word of prophecy from Julia Bell where I was going to be like, the next big thing i was told i would lead worship in front of thousands of people and that you know and paul andrews said the same thing and it just what it does is it creates a complex in your head where you're like well that's what i'm going to do because god said it like you know these people speak on behalf of god and they have told me that this is what's going to happen and i take it seriously and i want that and so you go on this like journey of like trying to balance the on the books way of becoming a creative and spiritual leader within the church, that being humility and diligence and, um, you know, all of that stuff that we tell people so you know, yeah. oh, that's what I'm supposed to do, have a good yeah. character yeah. Right versus the core desire. And I have to be honest, I wanted to be in that position. Like I did. I'm, I'm, I don't know how many other people like are able to be honest about that, but, you know, it's something I wanted. I was there for 20 years. Like, by but the, it's, also, it's also something 15. you were told you wanted as well. Sorry, but do you know what I mean? Like when you're surrounded yeah. by 30,000 people all cheering you on, like I don't think that's, you know, yeah. so so unreasonable to think, oh, okay, yeah, this is something. This is real. Well, yeah, and like you, you genuinely buy into that. But then when it doesn't happen, it's a complex because you're like, did I do something wrong? Am I, have I done the wrong thing, you know? Yeah. Like they started having conversations with me about, moving into being like one of the worship leaders like on the books worship leaders and i had a few gigs you know like i i want to call them gigs but you know that's what they are given a shot. i was given a shot a number of times 
put up at Sisterhood, given a Sunday morning service here or there. And then all of a sudden it just stopped. And I wasn't sure what I did. I I didn't know. Was I did I do the wrong okay. thing? Did it, did something happen? No, I just got ghosted. I was just left out in the cold. And we've talked about this, but I don't know, like, I mean, I'm this comes into the the thing we've been talking about kind of off uh the the recording, Tanya, but like I'm I'm bi, I'm bisexual and uh queer. And so I'm quite open about that. And I, at the time, I was invited to talk to Hillsong College students about being a, a professional artist because I was also working as an actor at the time. And so I was invited to come and talk to them about how it is being a professional artist as well as being, you know, in the worship team and being a Christian. And they asked me, and I was just honest about it in front of the college. I said, oh. yeah, I'm, you know, I'm bi, I'm bisexual, I'm queer. And that, for me, creates tension and it was around the same time that I was taken off the worship leader books and I'm not saying that that's what happened but I because I don't know I don't know what word got back to them but it was definitely you know there were worship staff in that room so correlation not causation (laughs) I can't say but having heard what happened in New York with the uh the queer choir leader who was taken off because he was yeah he yeah. Was gay. yeah yeah you know like I kind of feel like it's not that far fetched but the fact is is like if I'm questioning and thinking was it this is this the thing that did it that's wrong that shouldn't be an option <laughs> like one of the things I have become even more and more aware of other social networks uh, that. People don't do much else. People don't discuss much else in these places except for other people. And that's just reinforced on reinforced. So, you know, I can almost time it, can't you? When you say something, it'll come back to you two days later, four people later. But, yeah, okay, so just out of interest, what what made you talk about that at the college knowing you would have by then that it wasn't, you know, no one was going to wave their pride flag back at you? Like, no, um, I honesty with myself is like does a that sound horribly victimy blaming sorry that's this is that i just wondered why no 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 like why would happens. i out my, why would i out myself i don't know why i did that it's, I, not, it's always been an open book You're i'm a bit of I'm, a, I'm really bad at keeping secrets but i it, um, especially about myself but I'd, I'd been through like a massive sort of yeah. journey of this you know i'd also been in a queer relationship while at church while serving on team I, and with a college student, no less. So I'd gone through this journey of mm-hmm. processing that. I had a lot of, in, and still have a lot of internalized homophobia because of my time at Hillsong and because of my time in the evangelical movement. Yeah. Yeah. And I, at the time, was trying to process how I come to terms with myself, who I am, and and who I I outwardly am. And I want, I couldn't just get up every weekend and not have people know this. And I didn't care at the time whether people liked that or not about me because, like, I, I tried my best to change things and all it did was it drove me down really dark pathways. And, you know, yeah. some of my yep. friends can talk, talk about that and talk to that. Yeah. I won't mention it. But, like, the fact is is that, like, I'd been in this relationship with this guy. I, I'd met him through a Hillsong Christmas Spectacular as well, which is really uh, <laughs> funny. But, Aww. like, you know, we, we'd been in kind of this, like, it was a very short-lived relationship, but it was incredibly tumultuous and, in, and full of turmoil. And, you know, he knew he'd be kicked out of the college. I knew I'd be kicked out of the worship team. Created a real fear around me. And, and it meant that I, the relationship that I had with my sexuality was one of fear. And at the time, yeah. I was with Kat and I felt really safe. Kat, when you spoke at college. When I spoke yeah. at college, yeah. yeah. So, like, Kat and I were together at the wow, time. Okay. Nice. Kat's 
wonderfully like she was one of the first people like we knew each other at the time when I was with this guy and she knew about everything that was going on and was trustworthy and lovely and had been through the journey with me and when we ended up together I felt safe I felt like I was in and it's amazing what that relationship has meant for me feeling safe about talking about my sexuality yeah. and uh, so just being treated like respectfully and with love yeah and I just felt like I want that for the other queer guys and yeah, queer beautiful church mm. and when i spoke i did have a couple of people come up after me yeah, and straight say away, straight away after the, the service and, and in private they were just like i am also queer i'm gay i'm bi and i i want to is it possible to go and meet up and have a chat and i said yeah sure and i never really followed it up because i i guess oh, i should have got their number or something but like i assumed that they'd come back and talk about it yeah. but i yeah. get how how terrifying it is to talk to somebody about yeah. that but yeah you know, like I also knew many, many other people on the worship team who were gay, queer, you know, like it, these are things that were I, I knew about because somehow as a queer person, you find other queer people because you, you yeah. see the same struggles and I, and I say struggles, but not internal struggles with your sexuality because that's not, I don't see it like that anymore. But I mean, struggles with uh, system systems that make yeah. you feel yeah. like you should be this way. You know, like I owe a lot to Ben Gresham, even though like I hadn't hey really all that much. Um, hi, Ben. But, you know, like Ben was open about his sexuality way before I was able to be. And his bravery in that was a real inspiration to me. And I kind of felt like maybe I could be brave and also be an inspiration to somebody else. Um, I don't I don't know if that actually happened, but, you know, I I. I know that I wasn't worship leading anymore after that moment. So <laughs> it happens. Everybody just chucks their little bit in, and that's or their big whatever. Sorry, everyone throws their bit in, and it's just beautiful. And it, yeah, it does what it has to do and what it's supposed to do. That yeah, that's fantastic. And yeah, that's why you were rostered off. Sorry, I'll just confirm <laughs> that with you now. We are a really, really, really inclusive place. But you're, you know what I mean. Once you're in inclusive, you'll toe the party line, and you won't be going around having chats with people about how things can be different or veering off course off the music track either hey like it's okay i'm sorry and that's a really horrible place to be at so what happens when you're sitting there and you're ghosted and like what do you do next well i i didn't pick it at the time i just thought i'd done something wrong mm. like i thought i'd just stuffed up and so i just went back to being a backing vocalist and I accepted that as my role and occasionally I'd get an item here or there to do and you know I just sort of assumed that was my lot. Also at the time I was I was doing some pretty like big shows that I was really enjoying as an actor and so I was finding a lot of and this is kind of coming to the end of my time at Hillsong and around 2017 is when I started kind of questioning um, the church, my faith, going through all of that process and I think what I found was I actually managed to find myself outside of the church probably because of the lack of movement i realized i wasn't going to ever be that worship leader and i think i was able to let go of that that dream that whether i had it or somebody had it for me and made me think it was my dream i don't know but i was able to let go of that and i think you know i it, it did end with us leaving and to this day nobody has contacted me post that you should um, know though you should say about what happened when you did leave the worship team Oh, it's uh, so stupid. I, it, it really is stupid. I was just sort of building up to what happened was, I, yeah, yeah. 
so ultimately is used to sponsor in-ears at church the in-ears are the the things that the musos wear the headphones that the musos wear to be able to kind of Hi. hear themselves in the mix and fold back fold back it yeah it's essentially like high-tech fold back but you know we we have that system at all of the camp most of the campuses all of the campuses all, yeah, yeah. and so up until you know maybe three years ago, four years ago, um, Hillsong provided in-ears. So you would turn up, there would be a set there, you'd get some little earbuds that fit your ear and then you'd put them on and you'd go on. Like, I'll, I'll just explain though, like say if you were to stand on a stage uh, with iPhone headphones, for example, they've only got one driver in each ear, like your computer has a driver, right? But on the headphone, they've got one driver. So they've got one driver each to process the sound. They're also not blocking the sound externally from entering your ears, right? So when you're on stage, it's very loud. So if you were to only wear iPhone headphones, you've got a lot of bleed of sound coming into your ears directly from stage. And also you've only got one driver, a simple headphone setup to be able to hear, which means actually you can't hear much at all. So what these other in-ears are, they block the sound, there's, there's noise cancelling, so you're not getting the atmospheric sound. And also they've got three drivers in each headphone. So you're getting a high quality sound, you can hear what you're playing or singing, and that's really important to be able to play or sing at Hillsong. Especially if you're singing because you can very easily injure your voice singing yeah. in these sort of environments. Um, I did for a long time. I basically, basically a doctor had to tell me that I needed to stop singing the way I was because I was going to get nodules. And so I had to kind of learn some technique okay. around 2012 that kind of sort of helped to mitigate the damage I was doing to my voice. But the in-ears are a big part of that, right? Because you can hear yourself so you don't over-sing. So anyway just a couple of couple of months before we left i don't know what happened with ultimate ears maybe they pulled the sponsorship that's my that's my conspiracy but anyway we stopped having in-ears at church i they were, gone. they were gone i turned up one morning and they were like oh you didn't get the memo there are no in-ears and i was like oh not even like a spare set anywhere that i can use for today's like session because i need to be able to of hear myself three of, of three hours of me sing well yeah even more than that you know i was there from 6 a.m to like 1 p.m oh, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. is it you know is there anything i can use to be able to hear myself they were like nah you're just gonna have to find some so <laughs> i went and i found some apple headphones as we said some iphone headphones and i plugged them in and i sang with these iphone headphones that day and it was awful i couldn't hear a thing i came off my voice was like feeling really raw and, and quite scratchy and i said to them like are you ever going to provide them? They're like, no, nah, you have to go and buy your own. And these headphones are not cheap. You know, like they range, I think the cheapest what? are like 150 but The ones like, the church were providing originally were worth a few hundred dollars. Yeah, it's a few but, hundred dollars. Like, but, but they, but yeah. You're volunteering for them and now you've got to. Exactly. Yeah. And as we established, I'm not a professional musician. I sing at church. Like that's what I've done for 15 years. Like I, I'm a church singer. So I don't have any use for these outside of their services. So anyway, they're like, no, you have to go and buy your own. Didn't you get the memo? And I was like, no, I didn't. And no, I'm not going to do that. Like I was, I was at the time I was borderline leaving. I was like, no, I'm not going to. I refuse. And they were like, well, you're going to have to. So I turned up the next week, no headphones. They were like, are you going to get headphones? I was like, no. They were like, oh, and got, got grumpy at me over the over the thing. So I was like, I'm, the sound guy's getting grumpy at me. I'm like, no, I'm not getting them. Next week I turn up, same deal. Anyway, this like ongoing tiff that I'm having sort of spilled over. One of 
one of my mates noticed that I was having this fight because he he's a lovely he's, he's on staff and he's genuinely a lovely lovely individual and I have a lot of care for him but he he actually um went and bought me some in ears because he felt so bad actually he bought them too late he gave them to me the week after I left what what was everybody else doing so so did you did they get you a spare set did everyone bring their own like everybody bought their own everybody bought their own and I decided I wasn't buying them everyone else just went and spent the $150 or, or more on, you know, the basic. And they let you sing they just, without yeah, they, Well, yeah, yeah, because, you know. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It was on. They gave me a fallback or I, I got to use like um use my my apple headphones but i was like you know the day we left was the day after the after the election of uh scott morrison the 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 one that was just just terrible for my industry for me personally like it meant that i was like essentially there was just no hope for for the arts it was 2019 no hope for the arts or education which are both the places that i work in and I was absolutely devastated by the election results. And I'd been at a party that night and I'd gone home absolutely yeah. just so upset. And the next morning I turned up at 6 a.m. to do this set. And we were in the middle of worship and down the front, this like guy put his hands in the air right in front of me and started yelling, ScoMo. And I was like, what is this? Like, why are we, why, what is this? This is and I, I mean, I laughed internally, but I was also like horrified. I was like, this is the church I'm in? Like, I already stopped going, by the way. So Scott was there on his own. I was there on my own. <laughs> you know, I was like the combination of like watching this, this weirdness taking place in front of me and the headphones and everything else I'd experienced just came like flooding to me that morning. And in the middle of worship, I just put my mic down and I just stood there for the rest of the worship set <laughs> and I walked off and I never came back. That was it. I was out. I don't think I even sat in the service that day. I think I walked out of the service and I, I just never came back. I was I was like, this is not my place. This is not my yeah, my community. I, These why, people don't care. Why, why are we calling out ScoMo's name in worship again? I forget. Is it all one? Like, oh, because what, he's like, a Pentecostal. You know, that's all that matters, right? But, I, um, but okay. Wow, that's scary stuff, man. The, there's just a real people. You stay in this environment for so long, you don't even realize that it's it's absolutely. I have stronger words, but bad. <laughs> it's just not good. It's like you don't realize that it, it could be any different, and then you step into a church that's actually a church, and you're like, oh my god, Hillsong isn't a church. It's not a church. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing. But about this I mean, environment. Been, you're such a humble person, but you've also. I mean, when you talk about getting over that prophecy stuff, that's a very intense 
experience. And, you know, I would be thinking a very strong, um, deliberate, hypnotic instruction. And th they have to know the power it has over young people. And I'm convinced that it's, it really does get into the subconscious. And when, you know, years later, your subconscious is going, okay, great, where's the whole world? Why aren't we taking it over? And do you know what I mean? That it would. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist, and so, but it would have to result in this horrible conflict internally that you are not even responsible for anymore at all because it was years ago and programmed into you. And it, it's just beyond. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I still, um, I still have to stop sometimes in the middle of my ordinary everyday thing. Like I'll be at the supermarket or I'll be like <laughs> at watching TV and I'll be like, is this how my life was supposed to turn out? Yeah. Like it was going to be great. I'm just doing groceries and watching TV. And I I have to like, I have to consciously be like, no, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I have now is good. And normal. Life. And normal. And it's not so intense. And I was, I was miserable. Like Kat will tell you, like just yeah. deep, deep misery uh, when I was at church. I've never been happier <laughs> now that I'm out. Um, Yay. I yeah. feel yeah, yeah. free and I just I just don't think that you're right it's kind of I I don't know hypnotic I don't know how that works yeah. I think it does just get so deep within your psyche that you don't even know that you're being manipulated you don't oh. even realize well I mean aren't all the perfect conditions there I mean you're young you're open so you're gone you've gone in there quite receptively to what the person's saying and and they're a person of authority with a strong voice in that hypnotic environment with the music that underpins it all and what surrounded by 10 or 5 or 20,000 of your peers all agreeing like I just you know it's well known in you know academia and academic research that music has a profound effect on your body and so tell you know, do tell because this has got to be the great intersection of the AOG then yeah well yeah I mean like people there are what you could call music psychologists who have done studies on how music affects the brain even in my historical work you know um, philosophers of music back in the 1600s would write things like God entereth in by the door of the ear you know they knew that that sense the oh. sensory experience of your ear was was profound for your for your body and for your experience of the world and this um, this has now been backed up by science, you know, in in Ooh, modern science. Wow. So, yes, I mean, as to like the how deliberate or uh, calculated it was, it's just it's just a, a a fact that music will have an effect on your your embodied experience, you know, of and they well, those those prophecies, those yes, yeah, like say yep. hello because it's just such a thing to do, you know, to do to a. A young person to say that you know what i mean the the future's scary every like all everyone around you is like uncertain and stuff but you yeah yeah you're the one who doesn't want to yeah that's natural yeah. that's what and it's what young people look to older people they're supposed to be doing is telling you advice and what they see and would have some brutal effects on people True. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want, we could finish by talking through how they structure music into the service because it's all calculated down to the minute and the second, and it, that's all very calculated and, you know, and it's calculated to have a particular effect on the congregation, and that might be a nice way to sort of finish yeah, off beautiful. what we've been talking about. And when we talk about 
calculated, do we mean somebody's having a meeting every Thursday to, to chart this or is it just a sort of a thing they know? Because that's for... I mean, there's an event person with a run sheet that has at this minute and this many seconds, this happens, you know, in but the music. wrote that run sheet and yeah, what, you know. So. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's absolutely it's designed and produced that way. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so... Because I always remember finding out that um, I loved the David Letterman show, and I don't know if you ever watched Dave or a bit young, but he's um, he was always just Mr. Laid back, cracking a joke. It was all completely every second was apparently scripted every. So, so, but this is brutal. Because this is where people take their innermost vulnerabilities and themselves as such to church to this church poorly music and do you do how how calculated do you mean so like how well the first you know they're planning it from when you walk in because most people are walking in five minutes before the service right mm -hmm. so in that five minutes before the service right on right on the dot on five minutes before the service they run a video and music attached to it called the pre-roll and the pre-roll, you know, it'll have like inspirational kind of words up on the screen. It'll have like cool music in the background. And this runs for four minutes, 30 seconds. And then at 30 seconds prior to the service starting, this video has programmed into it a shift that takes place. There's a shift in the sound. It shifts to more kind of churchy sort of music in a lot of ways. It actually, in, in the time we were still there, it was playing footage from like a United concert or something as well. So it was like ramping you up for church to start. They have like church stock footage banks yeah, that they like draw the stock, church stock footage from and stitch it together for these. So that that's starting. That's what the end of this video is. The last thirty seconds. So every you know all the keen beings who are on the front row, they they know as well. That's their signal. Oh, church is about to start. Let's get into it. Let's start clapping. Let's start cheering. Those of us who are in the the green room, we've lined up in the corridor ready for church to start and we hear that change in the sound and we also know that that's when we walk onto the stage and then that pre-roll finishes and the vocalists walk on the stage and they're clapping and they're getting ready and they're riling up the crowd and that's when the worship set starts, which is three to four songs, isn't it? Four to four? Yeah, it depends. Three to four. Normally four. four. And, you know, they... Depends on the length of the service too. Yeah, so then they, they run through their, their four songs and, you know, usually it'll be mostly songs that the congregation knows. There might be one new song, like, uh, mixed in there. And then um, from, do you want to talk about the worship a little bit? Well, it's like, yeah, I mean, like, the, the, the worship's always structured to have fast songs then slow songs. We used to call them praise and worship. We were told not to call them that anymore because it was a weird arbitrary distinction that was made between the two tempos <laughs> it's like you had a fast song and a fast song and slow song so and generally the the, the two wow. slow songs one is like you know uh the one at the end has like this big elevated moment at the end often the bridge is really like, like a, a big deal like you you know and everybody's singing coming. woes or yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you call it oh like coming together i mean okay, like spiritual coming together you know like yeah. of everything that's happened so far in that moment in the music you know yeah so yeah it's it's like this big kind of elevated moment and then the the pastor walks on stage and and the music comes underneath and we, we hear the uh keep playing the same song that had just been had through the chords of that song so the mc speaking it they Pray. finish off playing the same song that they've just been singing 
and then it switches to the offering message which by the way is two minutes on the like it runs for two minutes never more never less two really? minutes is yet yeah, slot for the offering message is two minutes and okay. and what the musos are doing um the musos are generally playing some kind of like jazzed up version of like a pop song so it might be like some Coldplay riff or like some Coldplay chord progression or some other little well-known thing. Daft Punk was a fun Daft one. Daft Punk, yeah, and they'd play it for weeks and weeks on end before they would change it. So it'd be some cool little thing they'd be playing while the offering message is being spoken. So, you know, like, oh, I'm a cool guy and I'm giving you this talk about money while this Coldplay. It's very casual. Track. Like, it's, yeah, the, the like, vibe is casual, like we're yeah. having a chat. And then at two minutes on the dot, his time is up. So he's now kicked, well, he leaves, um, he or she leaves, the person uh, doing the offering talk. Then the worship leader, like, they know too. At two minutes, they step forward, like, ready to, to sing. And they're being told in their ears as well, time for you to step forward and, and go. Uh -huh. And then they'll sing, like, usually a short snippet of a song. It might be, um, that it might just be, like, a, a chorus and a, a bridge or something of a song. It's and often requested by the pastor. So yeah, the pastor yeah. will say before the service to the worship leader very often, this is the song I want to do just before. And that that happens probably about 70% of the time. If Brian's there, Brian will always have mm -hmm. some sort of song before he speaks. And often he'll do like his daggy dad thing where he sings the song to the band. Oh, and no, then still doing then, that. Yeah, been doing that for years. So that worship set prior to the offering, that that's mm. 20 minutes on the dot as well. Not ever more than 20 <laughs> minutes. It's limited to 20 minutes. You know, it's not like Bethel, for example, which would have like free worship for sometimes I've heard oh. like an hour at a time before the message oh, no. you ever get to Hillsong's not like that at all. It's strictly oh. 20 minutes for the worship. Okay. And then so then you've got that two-minute offering, you've got that little bit of a song, and then you've got your your actual sermon after that. I think it's limited as well to about 40 minutes, isn't it? Something I don't know. Like the numbers are probably going to be different. That but one, it, I don't you know. know they, the exact they are very strict on the time. There's like a timer on the screens, which most people probably have seen those kind yeah, of Yeah, so if you're standing on the stage, you can see there's the, the timer and there's also a countdown timer for whoever's doing that part of the service. It goes into the red if they are. Yeah, if, if they go over the, time. So they yeah. get this little Good. red countdown. Yeah, Good. They mustn't veer off course. Wow. Okay. I think, I think that the end of the service, that so, you know, where there's potentially a bit of an altar call or there's, especially in a night service, there might be a bit of an altar call or there might be a bit of prayer time or whatever, that part is a bit more free in, like, how much time you can spend. But it's not a lot of time as well. Like, if it were to go over probably 10 minutes or so, I think they'd get the countdown clock as well. Like, but they, on a 7 p.m. service, say, for instance, on a Sunday, they will let that worship go a bit over oh yeah people you know? start calling out for songs they want and stuff in the, and that's a easy easy vibe so you get to but know. particularly that opening part of the service you know is very very strictly timed and i think that is part of the success of the hillsong service it's a well-produced event you know got its own kind of liturgy yeah. you could say yeah you know and people know when to stand up and sit down and clap and you know because it's yeah. the same every yeah. it's exactly the same you know exactly what to expect and that's kind of really as well, why they're able to like franchise it as well, you know. Well, I mean, everybody's got to be somewhere this afternoon, so you know, I want to know what time I'm getting out of here. Secret, you know, as an attendee, the service is not going more than like an hour and a half max. Oh, you forgot oh. church news. Oh, I did forget church <laughs> news, yeah, that's the ads, the ad, <laughs> the ad break. <laughs> <laughs> the church news is before the offering message, yeah, I forgot about that. That also runs to a certain amount of time, I don't remember how long, but must be a minute or so yeah and oh if you're on stage as the band you're required to, to turn around and look at it 
so it's there on the big screen. Yeah, even though you can see it on the screens out front, everybody has to turn Everyone around turns and look, around and and looks up awesome. and is like, yeah, this is awesome, like all this all this stupid advertising. Like, you know, so that is... Advertising um, Brian's new book, Bobby's new book. That's yeah. what happens straight before the offering message. So often the, the MC or the offering person gets up and is like, oh, yeah, wasn't that awesome? Now let me tell you about bringing the tithe into the storehouse or whatever it is, you know, like, so... Yeah, that's kind of the other part of that. But that's like, yeah, that's really the Hillsong service in a nutshell. Um, you know, probably someone in the audience knows how long the the sermon goes for. But <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, do, do you, are there any kinds of recollections of? I mean, it's like I'm wondering what the differences are between different points in the service and whether those the the two minutes during, that is devoted to the offering must be a carefully planned two minutes. For the, for the taking yeah, up the yeah. money, the giving. Yeah, well, that's why it, it ended up staying nearly every time, you know, I think. <laughs> I mean, what yeah. kind of emphasis musically is there during that particular time, if oh, you be honest? You know, it's just like jazzy kind of cool music, music. lounge land music. The sort of stuff you'd hear in yeah. an elevator. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I think the point is is that it's it's casual, you know. Like, yeah. if it's too intense, the, the pastor will turn around and be like, why is this so intense? Let's let's lighten it up a little bit. And then the bass player will be like, and, like, drop into something. <laughs> so, like, it's it really is, like, they want it light. They want it casual. Okay. They don't want it to feel like a really intense moment because, you know, I guess presumably it's better for it to be casual. Okay. I don't Huge amounts of discussions musically happening around that moment. I think no, normally it was quite like, casual. Here's a cool little chord progression we're going to play from this song we all know, you know? Yeah, and they like it's kind of, in some ways I sometimes saw the musos having a bit more fun with that music yeah, than they, they did, did with, yeah. with some of the other stuff. Like they could play around a little yeah. bit more. And if they played around too much, though, they'd be asked to kind of tone it back. And the part, I have seen a few occasions where the pastor's turned around and gone, shh, quiet down, stop it. Um, but yeah, I do have a, like my funny, my funny encounter with like not reading the clock properly was that we were in the middle of worship, this huge elevated moment. We were kind of over the clock and Brian had walked up on stage, but I was on the far end. I didn't see that Brian was on. And so we're in this huge moment of free worship and the, the band's still pumping and Brian's like yelling over the top, but for whatever reason, those in ears his voice wasn't in my ears, so I couldn't tell that he was on stage because I was looking out. When you're told, when you're on the sides, you're told you're leading this part of the congregation. So I always face the side. I don't face out front if I'm on the side. I face the side to lead the people who are out in that area of the congregation. So I didn't realise, and I'm just singing my guts out over the top of Brian Houston. And I, I turned around uh, while I was singing, jumping up and down, and I see him and I make eye contact with him and he gave me the most massive death stare <laughs> and I just was like, whoop, <laughs> like, <laughs> disappeared. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, like he proper, like, you know, and like all the rest of the band is there eyeing me off as well, like what are you doing? And I'm there free worshipping over the top of Brian Houston. Anyway, fun oh. times. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I Sorry, got off quite light. That's all to do, isn't it? Just give you a look and then you're done. Right? Everybody's terrified of, of doing the wrong thing when Brian's there, right? So you're all told Brian is coming, do the right thing, Brian's coming. But not do the right thing, but, you know, you're, you're given it's into that. We have to make sure the service is really good today because Brian's coming. Oh, in. it was next level so. at Hills too. If, if, if there was word that Brian was coming, they were all, like, just, like, pissing their pants. Like, it was just so much, like, over the top. Yeah, <laughs> Brian was going to be there. Mm. 
And like, it just made me feel sick. But the pastors will let you know, and they'll do it in front of the congregation as well if you're doing the wrong thing, right? So like I had a couple of times they started trying to roster creative team on, if you were a vocalist, they try to roster you on to do the, the lyrics. So they put me in the back room to do lyrics. And mm. I was so terrified because I had seen the way the pastors go at like people who don't get the lyrics and even the worship pastors as well. If you don't get the lyrics on time, they'll like, be like what's going on with the lyrics during the rehearsal especially they'll be like lyrics are wrong da, 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 and like you'll you'll hear about it and the same is with like if you're doing graphics and they're, they're throwing like verses up on the screen and the past and you put the wrong verse up like i'd seen people in front of the entire congregation lay into volunteers for yeah. doing the wrong thing yeah. at the wrong time and you don't want to be that person like you don't want to be the guy who did the wrong thing at the wrong time and then got singled out for the wrong reason. You know, you want to be singled out for the word of prophecy, <laughs> but you don't want to be singled out to be told, what are you doing? which, you know, I saw, I saw, you know, countless pastors do that sort of thing. And it was horrible. Every time it happened, That's the congregation tough. just turned to ice as well. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, it's nobody felt, everybody just felt bad for the person that was getting berated. I don't think anybody was like condemning them for putting the wrong verse up. But... It was like seeing behind the curtain for a moment. You know? Yeah, it's like, no you know. What, what, who is this, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Yeah, all of a sudden yeah. you're like, ooh, they're really, really bad and petty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like yeah. Robert Ferguson was one of the worst for that. He would just be like, no, this is wrong. And he'd just like, yeah. Deeply petty individual. But, yeah. Have a go. Anyway, in my opinion. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, looking at you thinking this is, it's kind of like taking down reports of Scientology horrors. Or, do you know what I mean? Like we're actually making <laughs> statements and accounts kind of I've got to say it's pretty horrible to have heard these stories on a small level 20 years ago and now to hear that that has metastasized what's that word metastasized into yeah you know yeah it's now everywhere in the standard and how does that replicate and just I mean I guess we know but yeah. yeah. Well, we uh, replicate that culture because that's what we're seen. That is what is seen to be the correct way of behaving. And, um, you know, I was never really in an authority position to do that. And I'm not the sort of person to ever do that to someone. I just, no. you know, I'm a theatre maker. I, I collaborate with people uh, and I genuinely, genuinely love mistakes. I think mistakes are really beautiful moments of honesty, especially in a, a performance setting. And I, I really love embracing the mistake in a performance and you know like like i've done hundreds and hundreds of shows over the years and my favorite most memorable ones are the ones where you know shit goes wrong right i i just think about how we don't we never let that happen at church and if it ever did happen that was when you know things would fly and and we would never let a mistake happen and it's a culture of perfectionism which is deeply ingrained in the people who are there like you become a perfectionist yeah. Because you have to be, you have, there's no room for mistake. There's no room for error if you're one of the, you know, if you're not part of the elite, you know, private jet flying exclusive individuals with $6,000 phone cases, you know. In terms of it replicating too, like, can I just say, if, if Gary Clark was speaking at Hillsong London, that whole, that whole structure was out the window. Like, he, he just okay. would be on that stage <laughs> for just such an awfully long amount of time and the stuff that would come out of his mouth like you wouldn't you'd, you know it's not surprising that you know he ended up getting kicked out because of like a faux pas in what he was saying you know on that stage 
Um, is that the official line? Do we now kind of accept that? Because Gary's just gone lost. Like, do you remember being John Malkovich? And he was. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like, I don't know what he said about, about Black Lives Matter, but I know that. No, he that wasn't was into like, it. He was like, yeah, yeah, it's someone else's problem. So, yeah. But like before, you know, when I was there 10 years before, like in 2013, 14, like the stuff that come out of his mouth was outrageous at some times, you but, know, and, and people were just like, Oh, 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 Gary, he said that that horrible thing about someone or he just totally dismissed someone from the platform. And he would do this, like, routinely. Whenever he was on stage, you could predict he's going to say something awful about someone or something. And um, not only that, but he'd waffle, you know, he'd talk. He wouldn't have the 40-minute sermon. He'd have, you, you just never know when he's going to finish. And nobody liked his messages. That was the other thing. Like, everybody would just be like, what was Gary on about this week? Nobody knew what he was on about. Nobody could tell you. Every time I was there, which was quite regularly while I was in Europe, was like, I was like, what is Gary on? And yet everybody would be like, oh, yeah, Gary, 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 Gary. Oh, but his messages aren't very good. And what was he doing in leadership? Who even knows? So like, he's just how does, how does somebody get their, keep their job like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, like, he got on board with the liturgy, you know. Like, he was, he was doing his own thing. It was the Gary show, you know. If he... If he was in charge of that service, he'd be doing the offering message, he'd be doing the MC, he'd be talking for an hour at a time in a, in a sermon or however long, a painfully long amount of time. And you just get to the end of that service and you're like, oh, my goodness, like Gary, I've just been, just had Gary in my face for, for this awful amount of time, like, you know. You're like, just finish. Oh, my <laughs> God. It was like he like. Well, he gets so hungry too. You're starting to think about going to Five Guys afterwards, you know, like, whoa. So, so, yeah, the see, so he's allowed to veer off course, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he can yeah. say whatever he wants. <laughs> he's like, you know, until he said too much, apparently. And then but, it was all over. But, yeah. but, I mean, also he had, like, been, like, from what we understand of what was going on with staff during the COVID period, like he was making them turn up during, like, the peak of COVID. Okay. Like, he wasn't. You know, like, the UK had a very serious lockdown for nine yeah, months or yeah. something, like, and um, people were being forced to come into the office, you know, for no reason and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Forced so, to do things that really compromised their safety, you know. So like, in terms of what actually ended Gary's time in the end, it could be any number of things, but, you know, like... I'm sure there was some sort of HR He certainly had a reputation for saying some pretty out there things on that stage, you know. But can you imagine, like, he just didn't get rusted on again? do you remember do you remember do you remember two two years ago and brian was like yeah he's going to be the new global me did he or did he not say that uh, gary you're next get out whispers of things in our word that i don't remember. But i'm sure this was on stage he gave this whole thing and this is gary and i'm stepping aside because i'm not stepping down i'm just staying over here but i'm not letting go and Gary's going to be me, and then Gary's just never got rusted. <laughs> well, I heard that he went onto the board or something, but he's clearly on the board now, right? And that's another wonderful Leaving Hillsong sudden ending. I realised at that point the cat had only a short amount of time before she had to go to an interview. So we met again. And we talked some more. So there's more to come. Uh, that wasn't goodbye. In fact, I kind of don't want to really 
to say goodbye to these guys because I'm like, oh, I've got more questions. I've just got some more questions. It's all so interesting. Thank you so, so much for spending time with us today and sharing this conversation. It's, they're just such, just such a wealth of perspective and insight and yeah, I'm learning so much. It's Anzac Day today, A-N-Z-A-C. If you're not familiar, please take some time to have a look. We are, there's a few strange traditions that go on during the remembrance of Australia's service in war. So it's a, uh, so it's a public holiday here and, you know, shops are shut till one. It's one of those days. So I hope this chat kind of filled any of, the, any of those long rainy hours over here. I do think it's important that this pod is distinctly Australian, uh, given mm, it's where it all kind of started. Well, part two anyway. New Zealand has a lot to be explored for that. And that's the reason why this pod is always on at five o'clock or, you know, as close to uh, originally because of the gap that church left. But you know, when you've been an Australian and you have to stay up till two in the morning to watch a sports event or anything like that internationally, I just thought, you know, you're going to do it the Australian time zone. Sort of alienate 90% of the world, but, you know, it's time we got a mention. Keep the feedback and the likes and the suggestions and everything coming. I am so grateful to everybody who makes contact and supports as well as my wonderful patrons become one of them if you feel led take very good care of yourselves be kind to yourselves pick someone around you to be kind to randomly why not keep an eye out please for social media stuff because i've had a few technical issues uh so that'll be the best place to keep up Thank you again for your time and input into this really important conversation. Things are changing really fast with the introduction of all the criminal activity. So, you know, heavy times, but at least we got each other this time. The kindest thing you can do is to keep leaving Hillsong. Talk soon. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.